Let's turn to John chapter four. We went verse by verse on Sunday from verse one to verse 42. So as we begin our study tonight, it's not gonna be chapter five. I wanna go verse by verse through, picking it up in verse 43 of chapter four, where we read, now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. Departed from where? Well, he had just had the disciples, the people uh, had come from the uh, Sakar, which was a Samaritan city. Uh, the woman at the well had a divine appointment with the Lord. Remember on Sunday, started out calling him Jew, then Sir, and then Prophet. And then she believed on him, and she went out witnessing to the people in her hometown. And so in verse 39 through 42, many of the Samaritans of that city, what city? Sakar. They went out and they listened. And uh, he stayed with them there two days, and many more believed because of his words. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now after the two days, so that tells us here at verse 43, that he spent some time in the city of Sakar. Two full days, um, probably interacting with them, The disciples are getting used to associating with Samaritans. And um, verse 44, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So he came to Galilee, and the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had gone to the feast. Now, um, in Nazareth, he was not received, And we're going to now look at um, um, one of the healings, one of the miracles that um, takes place. And and verse 46 through 54, and I'm going to have a map put up at this time. I want to give you a, a feel for this. Capernaum is right where the red flag is, and Cana is right up, I think it's right there. I wanted to point this out because it says in verse 46, so Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine, so that would have been the first miracle, and it was a certain nobleman's whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judah, In the Galilee, he went to him. So he starts out in Capernaum. Now this is all uphill, guys. Um, It's all downhill from Capernaum, but it's all uphill. I mean, it's all downhill from Cana to Capernaum, but all uphill from Capernaum back up to Canaan. It's quite a drop, that um, the Sea of Galilee, uh, below sea level. And we find this man coming up. He leaves his town of Capernaum, when he heard that Jesus was once again in uh, Judea in Galilee, he went to him and he implored him to come down to heal his son. Come down from where? Well, he left Capernaum, goes to Cana, encounters the Lord, and then goes back down um, to Capernaum. And he went and implored him to come down and heal his son, 
for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see the signs and wonders, will you not by no means believe? And the nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, well, go your way because your son lives. Uh, So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. Now, as he went, was going down, notice that we have up and down here, his, his servants met him, so they meet somewhere between Capernaum and Cana, and told them, saying, your son lives. And then he inquired of them the hour when he had gotten better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Let's just pause here. There's two trains of thought of, of the time that we have here. If you go back to um, verse six of chapter four, when Jesus got to a Sakar, it says Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That would have made it high noon. Now, depending upon if you use the Roman time of day or the Hebrew time of day, the seventh hour here uh, could be seven o'clock in the evening, or the Jewish time would have been one o'clock in the afternoon. I'm not gonna argue about either one, but it's one or the other. So he asked, well, what time did he get better? They said, well, about the seventh hour. So it's either one o'clock in the afternoon or seven o'clock in the evening. Why it gives us this time frame, I don't know. But the Lord um, put it in there because the guy realizes, and verse 53, so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. All right, let's, before we start chapter five, let's review what we know about the Gospel of John. John is different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, We call them the synoptic Gospels because they're similar. John is completely different. Instead of writing in a a very chronological order, he's very selective. He chooses seven miracles. This one here, the nobleman's son, is number two. They both happened around the place in Cana, even though the miracle took place in Capernaum. Well, the first one, remember, in John 2, was Jesus turning the water into the wine. So this is now the second of seven miracles that John is going to record. The last thing we read in the Gospel of John is truly there are many more things that the Lord did that if they were all written down, I suppose the world itself couldn't contain the books that would need to be Um, needed for all that Jesus ever, ever did. So we just finished, when we finished reading verse 54 of chapter four, we finished the first division of the Gospel of John, which is divided up into five different sections. So this is now um, the third This begins the third section of John, and it's from chapters 5 to 13, if if you're taking notes. 
And what we're going to notice here that, that comes out is the opposition uh, to the Son of Man. Uh, this is the third of seven miracles John's record. One was, the first one was a water to wine. The second one was the nobleman's son that we just read about in the last four, several verses of chapter four. And um, the stirring of the waters is um, up for debate. Let's just put it that way. Let's dive in and I'll come back and comment on this. Let's read the first couple verses of chapter five. So we're beginning the third section of John, opposition to the Son of Man. Now after this was a feast of the Jews. It doesn't tell us what feast it is. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Well, just like you have to go up from Capernaum to Canaan, you also have to go, no matter what direction you come from, it's always up to Jerusalem. So they go up to Jerusalem Now there in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate is a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda having five porches. Okay, um, we will be in Jerusalem in a couple weeks and what they call here the Sheep Gate, uh, back then um, what is known for today is called the Lion's Gate and you walk in through the lion's gate, the next one over to the left would be the golden gate that's sealed up. But this one is a gate that you walk maybe, oh, a couple hundred yards at the most after you go through the, the, the lion's gate. And you come to, on the right-hand side, the pool of Bethesda. And we know that it's the pool of Bethesda because of the five porches that are there. The only crusader, this is not in my notes, I'm just visiting it in my head right now. (laughs) Um, The only remaining crusader church is at this site. Now, when the Turks came and conquered um, what we call the Holy Land, they destroyed all the crusader churches. But they didn't destroy this one. Because when they came to destroy this particular crusader church, they found that it was also being used for a school for teaching Turks their language and school. And so they couldn't destroy it. And I gotta tell you, I've never heard, we we go in there and we sit, because no matter where you sit, uh, the acoustics are so profound that uh, they just reverberate, you can, we, we sing um, um, hallelujah, and we wanna break it off abruptly because it goes on and on and on and reverberates on and on and on throughout. Uh, the ability to attain the acoustics is just a remarkable uh, feat that um, they accomplished. Well, um, we have a Bible study at this place. We have, uh, we'll be doing this Bible study when we get there. It says, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. This is up for speculation and debate. Again, I won't be dogmatic about it. Some people believe that literally, but uh, there are, there's also at the Pool of Bethesda an underground spring, 
And um, we believe that at certain times, the water pressure would get more or less, and it would cause the waters to move, or point possibility to. An angel came down for some reason from heaven and stirred the water. Um, Verse four, for an angel went down and stirred it, and whoever was in the water first, whatever disease he had, was cured. Now there was a certain man who had an infirmity for 38 years. I'm just gonna stop and let that settle in. He's had um, a disease for 38 years, paralyzed, evidently not being able to get down to the water. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already had been in that condition for a long time, remember what I told you about every encounter that the Lord has with a person? Here we read again that the Lord already knew that he had this condition. He knew that the woman at the well was married five times and that she wasn't married at the time, but he knew that. He knew about Nicodemus. And here again, we have a one-on-one encounter and it simply tells us again when John points this out that the Lord already knows how long it was And he says to him, do you want to be made well? What kind of a question is that? (laughs) I've had this for 38 years. What do you mean? Do I want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, sir, he doesn't know who he's talking to yet. I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, somebody beats me to it. While I'm coming, another steps down before me. Now, it doesn't tell us how many years this has been going on. He's had the infirmity for 38, but he is not able to get down to the pool. Verse eight, and Jesus said to him, that will rise and take up your bed and walk. And immediately, now sometimes when the Lord heals a person, I think of uh, the pool of Siloam where he tells the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. From where he was, that would have been quite a walk. He could have healed him right on the spot. But he doesn't. Here, he does. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. Now, this section, again, is uh, the beginning of the opposition uh, to the Lord. And so here the problem is going to be that the Lord healed them, but he did it on the Sabbath day. So the Jews therefore said to him, who was cured. Now it's important at this time that I make a distinction because it's gonna make sense of who he's talking to right now. He's talking to Jewish people because it's gonna become an issue when we talk about the resurrection in just a little bit. So to keep this in context, We'll finish chapter um, five this evening. But to keep it in context, this audience that he's addressing right here are the Jews are upset. And he said to them, who was cured, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. You couldn't do any work. And this was constituted as work. Uh, When we get to Israel, they actually have Sabbath elevators. And you can't, when you get in a Sabbath elevator, you can't push the buttons because it constitutes work. So what, so what do you do? You go to the first floor, and then it stops at the second floor. And you 
don't want your hotel room to be on the 23rd floor <laughs> because it stops at every floor. You can't push the button. It says Sabbath elevator. And all the Gentiles who don't care, they use the regular ones and they push all the buttons they want to. So we find that um, he answered them, well, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, well, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed didn't know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn into the multitude being in that place. Uh, It's actually quite a structure, very, very large structure. It's all ruins, of course. Um, But it goes back to the first century. Then in verse 14, a period of time goes by, and afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now we have to balance this out, because remember the Lord says, Do you suppose those... um, those uh, 18 men on whom the, the Tower of Siloam fell were worse sinners than other sinners? He says, I tell you no. So he's not a, equating, we have to keep this in balance and perspective here on what's being said because it would have been something evidently that would have been known to that man maybe and that man only, like uh, the woman at the well. Uh, See that you have been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Now, we're going to start listing reasons from chapter five all the way to chapter 12 and 13 on why there's opposition to the Lord. Why do they hate him? Why do they want to kill him? It's gonna eventually culminate with the cross, but here we have reason number one. So if you're taking notes, reason number one for opposition is he healed on the Sabbath. And this was simply breaking the law. You can do no physical work on the Sabbath. You could walk for about two-thirds of a mile, no more. Um, They would actually sometimes actually make pieces of rope and measure out how far you could actually walk. And they would take the rope and mark it out however far it was. Then they'd stop and they'd mark it a little bit farther. And you could could make it up to two-thirds of a mile, but no farther, because that would constitute work. Verse 16, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and they sought to kill him. So already we're only on the third um, uh, miracle here and they're already talking about killing him because he speaks and does miracles on the Sabbath day because he had done these things on the Sabbath Now picking up in verse 17, Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath but he also said that God was his father making himself equal to God. If you're taking notes, point number two. Reason for opposition, not only did he heal on the Sabbath, but now he's making himself equivalent to the Father. Um, stop here and turn to chapter eight before I forget. And let me give you the third reason as long as we're tacking some of them together. 
It's chapter 8, verse 37. And we'll get there eventually. I know that you're Abraham's descendants because you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So here um, we have the third reason, but we don't get to that till chapter 8. All right, let's go back to chapter 5. Healed on the Sabbath, made himself equal to God. Verses 19 to 21. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead, and gives life to them, even so the Son of Man gives life to whom he will. Now, just hold your finger there and just flip over to chapter 11. Here he's making himself equal to the Father, saying that he can um, uh, give life from the dead to whoever he wishes. That's quite a claim. Um, God is saying the proof is in the pudding. Either they're just boisterous words or he's actually able to do what he said he was going to do. In John chapter 11, we have Lazarus being in a tomb for days. And when the Lord tells Mary and Martha to take him to where Lazarus was, he said, Lord, by now he stinketh if you have the old King James. And yet he says, roll away the stone And um, this is interesting. In verse 35, there's two times in the Bible that the Lord weeps. One is when he's coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And um, he weeps over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I wanted to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And he wept. Why he's weeping here in verse 35 is the second time that the Lord weeps. And... To me, there's only one or two options. He's, he's weeping because he had already told Mary and Martha that his brother was going to live again. And they said, well, yeah, we know that, Lord, at the resurrection. We know he'll raise again. And the Lord says, I'm the resurrection, Martha. He who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She had no idea at the time that that day her brother was gonna be risen from the dead justifying the words that Jesus said in John 5, verse 21, for the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son of Man gives his life to whom he will. Question, either he does or he doesn't. Does he? Yeah, in chapter 11, he goes to the tomb groaning. So I, one of the reasons for the tears could be their lack of belief in him, that he was the resurrection. This is one of the I am statements. I am the, one of the seven the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he's been dead for four days. And then the Lord said to her again, didn't I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And he called out in verse 43, Lazarus, come forth, And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, 
and his face was wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Now this is right before, this event happened right before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It says many of the Jews that were there that day became believers because they were part of the funeral. And they knew he was dead and now he's alive. So when it says the multitudes were quoting Psalm 118, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The reason for the multitudes is, can you imagine a talk around town? Everybody knew Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And many of the Jews were there comforting Mary and Martha. And, all right, let's go back and tie it in with our text. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son of Man gives life to whom he will. Uh, The sad thing about Lazarus is he came back with a natural body and he had to die again. Now we're gonna be talking about the second death tonight. This is not to be confused with what happened to Lazarus, that he actually had to die twice before he got his resurrected body. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. We'll address that in just just a bit here. So um, we enter into the section equality with God in authority. And so let's read verses 22 through 30 and I'll come back and we'll do a little sidetrack talking about the second death. For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and has not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. So when a person comes to the Lord, um, he passes from death, there's no second death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he has the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil and to the resurrection of condemnation. And we say, oh, wait a second here. We're talking about none being good. Now we're talking about Works. Some people are good people, some people are bad people. Who's he talking to here? And this is why context and who is being addressed is very important at this point. Context is everything. Because if you take something out of context, what can you do with it? Answer, anything you want. <laughs> good place for an amen. So the reason we do the chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is we look at who is the Lord addressing here. And I'm going to take you back to verse 10. The Jews, therefore, said to him, you can't do that. They're upset. It's the Sabbath. You're breaking the law. So in the context here, he's talking to Jews. 
Remember, Jesus has not yet died on the cross. So he says, whoever believes in me um, will come forth, um, some to the resurrection of life. I can do nothing of myself as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will but the will of my Father who sent me. I believe what we have taking place here. This would be a good place to... Mm, turn, let's turn, first of all, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. And in context, he's talking about Jews that are very, pretty much upset with him because of his works, even to the point where they're wanting to kill him. Heals on the Sabbath, makes himself equal with the Father, and proving it by saying, well, I have the power to raise the dead. He does that a little bit later with Lazarus. Lazarus was dead for four days. Let me also bring in the thief on the cross at this point. Because when the thief on the cross believed in Jesus, he said, Lord, remember me. That's all he said. That was a sinner's prayer. Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And the Lord looked at this guy and he said, today, one day, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, we know that as Jonah was three days and three nights, by the way, that's the book that they're reading in Israel right now. Why Jonah? I don't know. But as Jonah was three days and three nights in the the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man must be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This could be a very long study. I'll try to abbreviate. When Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, he wasn't talking about heaven. He was talking about Abraham's bosom. The rich man died, went to hell. Lazarus died, not the same Lazarus in chapter 11. Different Lazarus died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, which is in the heart of the earth. So, what happened to Old Testament saints who died? And they had faith. Well, they could not enter into heaven because as it explains in Hebrews, matter of fact, I just looked down and I'm looking at it. That's nice. Um, Chapter 10, verse five says it. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me and burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin. You had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come and the volume of the book is written of me to do your will, O God. All these sacrifices were only setting the stage when the Passover lamb, the Lord himself, would fulfill what this was all about. All these years of the Day of Atonement was setting the stage for the day when Jesus would actually become the Passover lamb. All right, Um, before we talk about the second death, go to Hebrews 11, picking it up in verse eight. We'll read about Abraham for a second here. By faith, Abraham, in verse eight, obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would afterwards receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith he sojourned in the land of promise in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So here it's in the positive. They have faith. And because of their faith, they're put in the good category. And we read here in verse 10, for he waited 
For the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past her age because she judged him faithful who had promised. God promised that we're going to have a son, and she believed him. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, because Abraham was old, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and made a confession that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. This isn't home. How many times in a week do we need to hear that? (laughs) This is not home. You are a pilgrim, you are a stranger, you are just passing through, and so we're told to touch it ever so lightly. Don't put your tentacles down here, because we're just passing through. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they came out, they would have opportunity to return. But now they desire better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And this is 17 and 18 isn't part of the thought process here, but it's too good to leave out. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, okay, this was a test, this whole thing with Abraham offering up Isaac, He who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed will be called. Now get this, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which we also received him in a figurative sense. Now let's go back to Abraham and Isaac. We're told here that Abraham knew it was a test, and knew that if he did take his son's life, that the Lord would raise him from the dead because it was a type of a figure. Now remember the verse we just read back in John chapter five. And lo, the volume of the book is about who? It's all about the Lord. And so we have a picture sense here, and when Abraham was about to bring down the knife and cut, cut it in, the Lord called out and said, don't do it. Now I know that you won't hold anything back from me, Abraham. I've tested you. And you've proven yourself faithful. You believe me. How are we saved? By faith through God's grace. So I'm taking the time to get into this because, again, in context here, there were people in the Old Testament without faith. There were people like Abraham. That's why they called it Abraham's bosom. In Luke chapter 16, who were simply waiting for the Lord to come. And when he came back, and we're talking about the graves um, being opened, in context where it says, well, well, I'm getting way ahead of myself now. Before I go there, go to Revelation chapter two. I wanna talk a little bit about the second death. Revelation two, the church of Smyrna. Again, John is the author. Seven letters, seven churches, seven different promises to each one of the seven different churches. It's interesting to me that the persecuted church, Smyrna, verses eight through 11, 
He tells him to be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Remember I told you that this does not have in view here Lazarus who came back a second time, but it has to do with the Old Testament saints, I believe. So let's go to Revelation 20. The rich man who died went to Hades or hell. One of the promises to the church of Smyrna is hang in there, don't give up, and you won't be hurt by the second death. So what happens then to a Christian after the resurrection? After Jesus was the first fruits, we read, if you're taking notes, Matthew 27, right down verse 52, it says, many of the graves were opened and they appeared to many in Jerusalem. So there was a resurrection that actually took place right after Jesus. It it takes a time to make in parentheses that, but the Lord had to rise first. He was the first fruits. When Lazarus, not the Lazarus uh, that's in Abraham's bosom, but the Lazarus that we just read about, that Lazarus had to die two times, but not to be confused with what we're reading right here. What is the second death? Well, let's look at um, Revelation 20 to verse four so we can read this in context. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and did not receive his mark on their forehead or their hands. And they lived with Christ for a thousand years. So what we have in view here, those that were um, during the tribulation period. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. So what is, the question comes up then, what is the second death? Well, that's told for us here down in verse 12 that um, verse 12, the dead, small and great, standing before God, the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according by their works. We have one group of people judged by good, good works or bad works. And we have um, uh, them, this is, no believer will be at this judgment seat because they're being judged not by the finished work of the cross, God's grace, but thinking that they can somehow get there on their own merits. And then it says, the sea gave up the dead who were in death and hell. Now who would be there? Well, the rich man. He's there as I speak. What we have here is Old Testament, um, those in the Old Testament that don't appear before the judgment seat Uh, before the great white throne judgment. And they're judged by their works according to verse 13. Then verse 14, then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So question to the promise to Smyrna, be faithful unto death and you won't be affected by the second death. Question therefore, what is the second death? Verse 14 tells us. 
The second death um, is when you're cast into the lake of fire and that's where a person will spend his eternity. All right, let's make our way back to John. I really got sidetracked, sorry about that. No, I'm not, I'm just kidding, I'm not sorry about that. We left off in verse 30, talking about the resurrection and doing a little sidetrack on Hebrews 11 and the Old Testament saints. Beginning with verse 31 through 35, if you're taking notes, let me just give it to you this way, it'll make a little more sense. Verses 31 to 35, we're gonna have the witness of John the Baptist. In verses 36, we're gonna have the witness of the works that Jesus has done. In verses 37 and 38, we're gonna have the witness of the Father. And in 39 through the end of the chapter, we're gonna have the witness of the scriptures, testifying to what? That Jesus is God in the flesh. So we're gonna start out with the witness of John the Baptist in verse 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There's another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Now we're talking about John the Baptist. John bore witness of me. I didn't need to do it, because John did it for me. Yet, I did not receive testimony from man, but I say these things to you that you may be saved. He was the burning and the shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. So first we have the witness of John the Baptist. Jesus said the greatest man who ever lived, and he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. One verse in verse 36 and that is the witness of the works that the Lord had done. In this case, water into wine, healing the nobleman's son, and we're up to the, um, um, the third one here of healing the man who was trying to get in by the pool of Bethesda. Verse 36, but I have a greater witness than John for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. You want proof that I am who I am? Okay, the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, and um, we're, we're working our way through seven of the miracles, and we're up to, up to number three. Then, in verse 37 and 38, he says, I have another witness that I am who I am. And he says, The Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because he who sent him you do not believe. What does he mean? He has a witness of the Father. All right, go back to John the Baptist. He was first. Then Jesus was baptized. And when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, It said the heavens opened up, the Holy Spirit came down, landed upon the Lord, and then a voice was heard from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. That's what is being referred to here. But it's happened more than once. 
It also happened on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John were taken up to a high mountain. They have one in Israel for the tourists, but it doesn't say which mountain, so I can pick whatever one I want to. I usually pick Harbel. I like that one better anyway. It just says to a high place. It doesn't say where, just in Israel. And there, Moses and Elijah appear to Peter, James, and John and the Lord. Jesus is seen in his glorified body. Peter doesn't know what to say, but that never stopped Peter before. Why should he start now? Oh, this is great, Lord. We should build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I don't know, I don't Mid-sentence, the Lord cuts him off, the Father from heaven. He didn't say, shut up, Peter, but he probably is thinking it. And they were all enamored because Elijah and um, Moses were there. And the Father speaks from heaven once again now a second time, saying, no, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. It's not Elijah. It's not Moses, Peter. And so he's interrupted. And so what we read here in verse 37 is the authority, the witness. Well, we have the witness of John the Baptist. We have the witness of the miracles that only God can do. We have the witness of the Father speaking twice at the baptism and the Mount of Transfiguration, an audible voice from heaven. Father, Son. I'm the Father, this is my Son. Then we have the importance of Scripture and why it's so important to study the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Because we're going to read uh, here again the volume of the book is all about the Lord. So we'll finish with this tonight. Verse 39. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. The very people that want to kill him were known for studying the scriptures. And they do it all the time. So they had a head knowledge of the scriptures but they didn't have an understanding that the whole volume of the book, the whole story about Abraham and Isaac, when Abraham finally realized what had taken place, he believed in the resurrection. That's, that's what God had to do. We just read that in Hebrews. Well, instead of that happening, um, we find that the Lord uh, says, no, there's a goat over there. Go and offer him instead. And Abraham named that place, he says, He prophesied, he says, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. What will be seen? Another father's gonna offer up his son. I believe on the very same place that Abraham offered up Isaac. And it wasn't on the temple mount. The temple mount is 722 meters above sea level. Um, Golgotha, which we call Calvary, and that's why we're called Calvary Chapel, is 777 meters above sea level. Is seven a significant significant (laughs) number in John's gospel? Oh yeah, seven I am statements, seven miracles. How about the book of Revelation? Oh yeah, seven letters, seven churches, seven promises, seven years, it just goes on and on and on. It's a number of completion. 777 meters above sea level? Probably just a coincidence. No, if you're going to climb a mountain, how many times do you stop halfway up? No, you want to hit the summit. 
And I believe that when you go to Jerusalem, that you actually are taken to the highest point of Mount Moriah. Now there's other mounts that are around Jerusalem. Actually, there's seven. But it was Mount Moriah that the Lord took him to. And the highest point of Mount Moriah happens to be the place where Golgotha is. All right, let's finish things up and wrap it up tonight. Um, but they test the, the scriptures testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. No, they wanted to kill him. Who did they want to kill? God. Why? Well, what did we learn tonight? This is, we'll begin to wrap things up. We're in section number three, chapters five through 12. Opposition. What's the opposition over? Well, the opposition is over the fact that he healed on the Sabbath day. The opposition is that he made himself equal with the Father. The opposition is his word has no place in them. And now he tells them, you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another comes in his name, you will receive him. This could be a veiled reference to the Antichrist, who will come in his own name. That's why we read Revelation 13, either the name or the number of his name. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. I don't have time to get into the studies Except to say, remember Jesus appearing to Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus? And they did not believe, so he began to give them Old Testament Bible studies. It says, and beginning with Moses, he showed them all the things that the Son of Man must suffer. And their comment at the end of the day was, didn't our hearts just burn within as he opened up the scriptures to us? One of the things that we should always hopefully leave a Bible study with was an awareness that the book is alive and well. It's the living word of God. That God honors his word above his own name. And as we conclude our study tonight, we are given uh, the reasons uh, that um, the Lord is bearing, not bearing witness of himself. One, two, three, four the witness of John the Baptist, the witness of the works that the Lord did, the Father speaking from heaven, and then the scriptures themselves. When you dig deep enough, you'll find Jesus on every page, beginning with Genesis 1.1, all the way through to the end. So, do not think that I shall accuse you, but Moses, who wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So, we cracked out chapter five, it's that time. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for, again in closing, we pray for the nation of Israel. It is Yom Kippur right now in in the States. And Lord, as we uh, just go this evening, again, we, we see that the volume of the book is about you. And so we hold up the rest of the evening to you. Lord, we're so grateful 
for the fellowship of the saints, for the surety of your word, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't change. And that you are who you said by the proof of the mighty works that you've done. So Lord, bless your people as we go our way this evening. Bless the stake and study on on, uh, Friday night and uh, pray for the the speakers that are gonna be sharing. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord took them to, and the highest point of Mount Moriah happens to be the place where Golgotha is. All right, let's finish things up and wrap it up tonight. Um, But the, the scriptures testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. No, they wanted to kill him. Who did they want to kill? God. Why? Well, what did we learn tonight? This is, we'll begin to wrap things up. We're in section number three, chapters five through 12. Opposition. What's the opposition over? Well, the opposition is over the fact that he healed on the Sabbath day. The opposition is that he made himself equal with the Father. The opposition is his word had no place in them. And now he tells them, you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another comes in his name, you will receive him. This could be a veiled reference to the Antichrist, who will come in his own name. That's why we read Revelation 13, either the name or the number of his name. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. I don't have time to get into the studies except to say, remember Jesus appearing to Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus? And they did not believe, so he began to give them Old Testament Bible studies. It says, and beginning with Moses, he showed them all the things that the Son of Man must suffer. And their comment at the end of the day was, didn't our hearts just burn within as he opened up the scriptures to us? One of the things that we should always hopefully leave a Bible study with was an awareness that the book is alive and well. It's the living word of God. That God honors his word above his own name. And as we conclude our study tonight, we are given uh, the reasons uh, that um, the Lord is bearing, not bearing witness of himself. One, two, three, four the witness of John the Baptist, the witness of the works that the Lord did, the Father speaking from heaven, and then the scriptures themselves. When you dig deep enough, you'll find Jesus on every page, beginning with Genesis 1-1, all the way through to the end. So, do not think that I shall accuse you, uh, but, but Moses, who wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how you will you believe my words? So, we cracked out chapter five, it's that time. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for, again in closing, we pray for the nation of Israel. It is Yom Kippur, right? 
now in, in the States. And Lord, as we uh, just go this evening, again, we, we see that the volume of the book is about you. And so we hold up the rest of the evening to you. Lord, we're so grateful for the fellowship of the saints, for the surety of your word, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't change. And that you are who you said by the proof of the mighty works that you've done. So Lord, bless your people as we go our way this evening. Bless the stake and study on on, uh, Friday night. And uh, pray for the the speakers that are going to be sharing. In Jesus' name, amen.